0: talk 11 10, 3 wbt the pete calendar program 704 570 and 1-800-wbt-1110 you can email pete at the pete calendar and you can also hit me up on twitter at pete calendar where i have my new profile picture well you know i lost 95 pounds so this was actually a picture i wanted to take. <laughs> so, um David Bass at Carolina Journal got a sit-down interview with former Superior Court Judge Howard Manning. Howard Manning was the judge that initially heard the Leandro case. This was the lawsuit filed in 1994 over school funding levels at the state level. By the way, back when Democrats were in charge of state funding for schools. And these uh, families and school districts sued the state. Over the the board of education and um, the state school board, yeah, state school board and uh, DPI. So they they sued, uh, I believe, also the attorney general's office and stuff. They never sued the legislature. They sued executive branches, and they said you're not funding schools to at a sufficient rate. And and look, part of this is that. The way the funding system is set up in North Carolina, you have the state that funds operational costs and uh, the counties fund capital. And the problem there is that the state doesn't give enough money because they give sort of a baseline per diem uh, or or a per capita. So however many kids you have, you get, you know, one figure that's across the board. So I don't remember what it is. I think it's like five grand or something. So every school district would get $5,000 per kid. Well, the, the poorer districts are not able to add in a supplemental uh, pay, basically, for the, the teachers. They, they, they can't raise revenue because they don't have a lot of wealth that generates property tax revenue. Mecklenburg County, like you raise, what, half a penny on the sales tax or the uh, income tax rate, and you're going to generate, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars. You go out into some of these poorer rural counties; they can't do that. And what's more, once they start raising property tax rates on people, now people lose their homes, so they're caught in this catch twenty two. Anyway, so that's what the, the the lawsuit was over the funding levels. Then you're not providing this uh, this obligated, constitutionally obligated education. So Howard Manny takes the case up, and he finds that yes, there is a constitutional right. Because it's written there in our state constitution to a, quote, sound, basic education. Okay. After he retires due to medical reasons, he's now watching the next judge to, that, that was appointed, uh Democrat out of Union County, David Lee, who is now trying to force the legislature, who's not even a party to the case, to force the legislature to spend like $1.75 billion dollars on you know, professional development and teacher pay raises and all this stuff. And Manning is hacked off. Manning is mad. He says this is not about money. It's a failure of classroom instruction, pure and simple. The money is not the point. The public schools get plenty of money. What is he saying? He's saying it's prioritization. He, fo- he also get this focused on the prevalence of out of wedlock births in poor rural counties. In 2000, he he said he never encountered a young male defendant. While he was still working the case, he said when he was a judge, he never encountered a young man defendant who was a father but also married. Never. That is astounding. This gets to, I've talked about this before, the ways to stay out of poverty. This is how you break the cycle. Brookings Institution, they did the analysis years ago. Three things, folks, three things. And if you're in poverty, your chances are you'll be out of it. And if you're not in it, chances are you'll never be in it. Three things. Uh, Have a job. Any job. Just have a job. Uh, Finish high school and uh, wait until you get married to have kids and do that after high school. That's it. Those are the three things. And guess what? GovCo can't make any of those things happen for you and your family. They cannot. The liberal think tank, Brookings Institution, they said as much. There is limited impact government can have in those areas. Those were areas usually reserved for the church and the family. Seriously, like it is it is really that obvious. Let me jump over here and get Dave on before the uh, break. Hello, Dave. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, it's an honor to talk to you, man. Ah, How are you? I'm all right. I don't know if I'm worthy of an honor, but uh, thanks for calling. It's an honor, sir.
1: Um, Couple things. Number one, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I I think Winston kind of got thrown under the bus for secretly, or, he got caught doing what the board secretly wanted him to do, and that's just, like, try to sweep all the bad stuff under the rug.
0: I I agree with the first part that you said, that he, he kind of got thrown under the bus. Yes, he kind of did, because they brought him in, and as the Charlotte Observer editorial board pointed out, uh, that he was brought in basically as somebody that the board could control. Well, then, if he's unable to do the work, that's on the board.
1: Right. And they all they all voted him in. They all wanted him and this guy was going to be great and everything. But as soon as it came out that, you know, attendance is falling and grades are falling and everything's going bad and then he's denying crimes committed at the school and guns are at a crazy level. It's like now all of a sudden the people are aware and they got to get rid of this guy.
0: Mhm. Yeah, he's an easy scapegoat. Absolutely. But at
1: the same time, we're losing focus on what the kids in school, and I say kids, I sound like my dad. Sorry about that. <laughs> what, what they should be learning in school is how to read, how to spell, how to add. And we're just pushing these kids to the next grade level, throwing a diploma in their hand, and the federal response is, well, they can't read, they can't add, so let's give them two years of community college, That'll
0: fix it. Yeah, it's a jobs program. It's a middle class jobs program. K twelve and even into the uh, the remedial college level classes. It's a it's it's a jobs program for the middle class. This it's a wealth transfer. So because how many people are in administrative positions that really are not required? And if you're not doing the job of educating the kids sufficiently, now we got to do remedial work when they get into uh, before they get uh, uh, into college and out of high school. Yeah, you 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 don't you don't reward that kind of performance. And I think that's exactly what they're doing. Yes, that's I agree. They're rewarding it.
1: These kids don't have any self-esteem, they or self-responsibility, they have no accountability. It's like, okay, you failed this test, yeah. you failed this course. Guess what? We're going to push you through. It'll be someone else's problem later, but hey, look at how many kids we just pushed through this school this year. Aren't we awesome?
0: Well, yes, and here's the key: don't lose sight of this. They are aware of gender pronouns. That's the key, Dave. That's the key. All right, I appreciate the call, Dave. Thanks. News Talk 1110 993 WBT 704 570 1110. 1 800 WBT 1110. Let me jump over here and get Jim on the program. Hello, Jim. Welcome to the show. How are you?
2: Yeah, Pete, your comments about the Leandro and your news for the last two days at WBT about the fired superintendent mm-hmm. and a half a million dollars
3: mm-hmm. just
2: walk away. And I'm trying to draw parallels, Pete.
0: Oh, as if they're about, connected somehow.
2: Yeah, about the about the state. I, I keep reading this. It comes from the North Carolina Constitution about providing a basic education. And I'll look at the pink granite facility in Raleigh, the state education building. And I'll look at the giant building here in some of the most expensive real estate in downtown Charlotte, CMS headquarters. And I'm wondering how either one of those facilities helps provide a sound, basic education.
0: Well, obviously, Jim, obviously the adults that are in the administration need all of that money and they need to be uh, placed in those facilities or else the children cannot possibly read at grade level three. Well, well, Pete,
2: I've got a theory about it. I think it's the way the state Edu- uh, state government continues to provide control over the population, either through um, ideology and now even moral issues. And I even I think the Constitution even talks about the word free in an education. And I contend, Pete, there's absolutely nothing free about it anymore. Nothing.
0: Well, so, all right. Well, so the, the language in the Constitution is what they are going to be constrained by. And they set up this system so they believe that the state should be providing this basic level of education. But I would submit that they have lost track of lost sight of what makes it a basic education. And when they go you with know, the the more you go out beyond your primary objective, the, the less likely you are going to achieve your primary objective, right? It's mission creep, and I think that's that's what government does, but also, you know, large bureaucratic corporate organizations as well. Mission creep, and I think that's what largely has occurred in the K-12 education model.
2: Well, well Pete, I can say it goes right on up to the university level. Sure. As long as the state has this massive educational complex, it's basically controlling the populace.
0: Well, it was the other thing, too, remember? Uh, what was it? Uh, uh, was it Truman? Truman said the you know the military-industrial complex. The other part of that sentence was talking about the academic-industrial complex. He warned about that, too. So, yes, the, yeah, higher education has these same sorts of problems. Um, but, uh, Jim, I appreciate the call. I'm going to get Gail on before I get over to the uh, bottom-of-the-hour news. Hello, Gail. Welcome to the show. How are you?
3: Hi, I'm doing fine. I just wanted to throw in my two cents words. I taught in inner city schools in Indianapolis for 29 years. I taught high school. They God would bless put you. I my physics class who didn't know algebra because they knew I would teach math skills. I think the solution is don't wait until the kids are seniors in high school to see if they know the math and just know if they can read have a reading test and a math test at the end of first grade and second grade and third grade. Have summer remediation. Have it again in fifth grade before they move to middle school. Again, in the eighth grade before they move to high school. That way you don't have kids that are reading at the fourth grade level who are seniors in high school.
0: Yeah. So I th- it, this is, I'm reminded in just listening to what you're saying and front-loading all of that focus on reading in the early grades. And I'm reminded yeah. of what I was saying during COVID. I, I'm reminding myself of what I said, but no, it's something that I kept saying about COVID, which was we're either practicing battlefield medicine or we're not. And if we've now got kids that are more than half of them are failing before grade three reading, then it seems to me like that's where all of the battlefield medicine needs to be directed because these, you know, the people that tell us we have to spend more money and do it for the kids, they're the same ones who say that the school to prison pipeline you can trace it right to that grade three reading achievement. And if we're not getting them educated to read, then they're going to end up in prison. And I'd rather so, pay for the education on the front end.
3: So in addition to teaching physics, I also was the planetarium director. I would have third and fourth grade kids come in the planetarium. They'd say, how do you know all this stuff? I said, I read, because I would tell them stories amongst, amongst other things, stories from the stars from different countries, yeah, not just Roman and Greek. And the kids got so excited, they would talk to me when I saw them a week later about things that they had read so because i would go to their schools first and a week later they come in the planetarium Mm -hmm. and they and they were so excited to show share with me what they've been learning because i was excited about reading
0: right no that's great it
3: wasn't part of what i'm supposed to be teaching but i thought it's critical if i don't do anything else but get some kid to get a book out who never would have gotten a book out of the library for then i've achieved my goal
0: but that's another and that's a great story gail and god bless you The, the but that's a it's proof stories are powerful stories that we tell ourselves and our children and our societies these stories are powerful and they can they can move kids yes to have a love of learning for the rest of their lives um i appreciate the call gail thanks so yeah, much I have
3: kids making up their own constellations of their own
0: stories oh nice that's awesome that's great News Talk 1110993 wbt So the judge in the Leandro case, and by the way, kudos to Dave for identifying the, uh, the connection here between the Leandro topic and the Charlotte Mecklenburg School Superintendent being given $577,000 for two years of not working. Right? Fired. Here's your severance. Two years, $24,000 a month. By the way, how many reading programs may have been purchased with the extra money that Ernest Winston demanded basically by not resigning. Cause that was the offer. Remember he was offered 300,000 step aside, but if he doesn't, then they fire him. He gets $577,000, but they release details from his personnel file, his performance evaluation, which is not good. And I didn't even read through all of them. I, I have it still here. Maybe I'll get to it in the next segment, but, uh, yeah, there's the obvious connection that for for all of the money that these top education leaders take for themselves. And I'm not saying that they're not worth it, although I don't think they are, but I'm not making that argument. My argument is simply that if you're doing it for the kids and if you're going to, you know, file litigation in order to get more funding and, and you say every dollar counts and it's got to go to the kids and and you can have. You can make a difference with an $8,000 STEM program, but instead you demand the money and pay for you. Are you really doing it for the kids? I'm of the Milton Friedman view on this, which is that virtually all government spending is designed to benefit the middle class, the people who work at those jobs. Most welfare program, same thing. He said, "The and I agree, the only one he ever found was the food stamp program. Now, Gail had called in um, also and said, and she was a, a planetarium uh, director, I think is what it was, but she did the planetarium services. And I still remember we had a planetarium uh, growing up uh, in my school district as well, and once a year we would all go. And I remember the the coolest part of the... Uh, of the planetarium field trip annually was the very last thing that the teacher would do would be to show us what the sky would look like without any light pollution. And growing up on Long Island, (laughs) that was saying something, a lot of light pollution. And so, uh, yeah, he would just kill all the lights and it would just be this amazing View. That's what I remember at the play. It was always a favorite. And then for some reason, years later, he quit doing it. We had to start asking him to do it, which of course he would always do. And maybe that's actually, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe that's why he did it for the affirmation, which I'm fine with. Like the kids loved it when I did that. I'll see. You. And if he just forgot one year and then the kids were like, hey, turn off all the lights. I'm trying to remember his name too. I forget his name. Um, I think, it, yeah, but it was at the high school. We would, when we were younger, We would take the field trip to the high school. That was our field trip to the high school. There you go. Uh, So Howard Manning Jr. is the original judge. Junior? Did I just give him a junior tag? I think I did. Judge Howard Manning. I think it is junior. But he was a Superior Court judge. He's now retired. He's the one who made the ruling initially. Uh, Sound basic. Well, the state Supreme Court said sound basic education. Then they kicked it to him. And so he's been overseeing the case trying to figure out all these different ways to make this ruling work for schools. And he is not happy with the way this case has progressed. He said, it's a failure of classroom instruction. That's the problem, pure and simple. He says, quote, the money is not the point. The public schools get plenty of money. Hang on. I got to do this again. Get the card. Here it is. Get the card. K-12 education receives 10.6 billion dollars a year in North Carolina. That represents 41% of the total budget, the total state budget, 41%. It is literally the number one funding priority, 41% followed. And then you've got uh, the UNC system at three and a half billion and community colleges at 1.3. You add those all together for a total education line item of 15.447 billion dollars. That is 60% of our budget. Six zero. So almost two out of every three dollars that is spent out of the North Carolina Treasury goes to education. And, and could you imagine what what we would be spending if we didn't have those evil Republicans that hate education? All right. Uh, <laughs> so Judge Manning in a sit-down interview with the Carolina Journal He said um, he was a Superior Court judge, so he was a criminal defendant, and he would uh, hold court in Warren County, Vance County, Granville, Franklin counties. And in the first six months of the year 2000, he said he not once encountered a young male defendant who was a father and also married. They were all illegitimate kids. Quote, many had more than one illegitimate child by more than one female. No high school diploma, no job experience beyond menial work selling drugs or engaging in drug-related criminal activity, and no sound basic education whatsoever. Marriage is a relationship that appears to be obliterated from their vocabulary or society. Their children, meanwhile, will join the public school system, quote, at risk before they ever enter a building. And it's not those kids' fault. It's the fault of their at-risk, irresponsible parents. I would also add to what he just said, It's the society and the culture that celebrates the criminality and penalizes an education-first mindset. As the philosopher Chris Rock talked about all those years ago, about getting more respect coming out of prison than you do coming out of college. The most recent data from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, put North Carolina's out-of-wedlock birth rate at 42%. 42%. Parents who bring kids into a world of poverty with no family structure, they have little hope for success. Until and unless the vicious cycle is broken, by education and better opportunity for this segment of the at-risk population and for other at-risk kids who are not passing through the criminal justice system, there's not going to be an equal educational opportunity for every kid in North Carolina. This has to be where the focus is. And for the love of the kids, you guys in government programs and services, you need to start hammering home a message that's actually going to save kids. And that message is finish high school, have a job, any job and don't have kids until you're married and after you graduate. Those three rules, those three things, you need to be hammering those things in every sector of the society, all the populations, all of them. Everybody needs to hear that. 42% out of wedlock birth rate. This is not strictly related to one race or another, one ethnicity. This is all across the board now, folks. If you really love the kids and you really want to keep them out of prison, those are the messages you need to be delivering. 1110993 WBT Got a couple of emails here. Pete mails. That's what it's a, it's a new segment. No, all right. Uh, Pete, check out the 8th grade school test from 1912 rural community. Bet a few current seniors. Oh, sorry. Bet few of our current seniors could ace it. Talk about mission creep. And Mike says, what is unmentionable, but teachers will tell you privately, is that some kids are just stupid or don't want to learn. No amount of money will fix that. Um, well, so, I, well, I will say it in a less antagonistic sort of way. And this was actually a conversation that I had had uh, years ago. I think I've mentioned this at least a couple times. Um, that years and years ago when I was covering the school district, Charlotte Mecklenburg School District, um, there was a, she was an assistant superintendent for like all of the data and testing. Her, her name was Susan Agruso, I believe is, that was her name. And I think she went on to become a superintendent at another school district. Anyway, she was a numbers person. And I, and when it comes to education policy and the like, it's always interesting to talk to the numbers people because the numbers are what they are, right? You give me the data. And I'm looking at the pass rates and fail rates. You can't hide that. And so a lot of times you would have these conversations with the data people and you kind of arrive at the truth that you will never hear from the comms department, for example. So one day after some of these numbers come in and we're looking at them and I'm looking at all of the charts that they've got. And, you know, I'm not the most mathematically inclined person, but even I recognize a bell curve. I know what that looks like. It's right there in the name. It's a bell. And so I'm looking at the charts and they all show this same sort of similar pattern. You have a people, you got people at the low end over here and then the big bulge of people at the top and then the people all the way over at the right side. And I asked her, I said, well, if this is the case, right, like this is the the spread of the results, and you see this playing out in all of the different grades and subjects and demographics and the like. And yet you're telling everybody that you're not satisfied till every child is achieving and has learned and all of that. like Till everybody's at grade level. But that is, isn't that mathematically impossible? Because if everybody's, quote, at grade level, then maybe the grade level is set too low. Or or what? Or are we, or are we just going to socially promote everybody through, right? I don't know. And so I, I'm i going down this path with her and I'm talking with her about this. And I said, well, isn't it the case that these are all bell curves? So what you're trying to pitch is this idea, which is a mathematical impossibility. Some kids are not going to be able to do the work, right? They're not going to be able to pass. Because I think at this point, they were socially promoting kids a lot. And there was a push that... Uh, there, was a, there was a push that you could... Uh there was a push to to not socially promote anybody. I was just saying you could turn that off. Yeah. Um there there was the buzz in the line. I don't know if the audience can hear that. There's a static buzz sometimes when I unplug the laptop. So anyway, um the the school district was socially promoting and I said and that that was the nature of the conversation. So she at one point says, "Well, you really can't say that." <laughs> and she's exactly right. You can't say if you're the school district, you cannot get up there and say We know that not all of these kids are going to pass the test because mathematically, that would not be possible, right? And if every kid passed the test, then maybe the test is too easy, right? I'll never forget. I had a teacher. His name was Mr. Peacock, and he sounded like this, and he's from South Carolina. This was up in New York on Long Island. Mr. Peacock, this was a man who had a, a, a little closet in the back corner, and uh, behind his desk. And, uh, if somebody came in and, and was making excuses for not performing, not doing the work, not showing up on time, he would go over to this cabinet and nah, nah. that's what he would do. I'm not making this up. That's how he sounded. He would grab a, uh, a, a water jug and he had drawn with a black marker teardrops all over it. And he would shake that. and It was a little bit of water in. It, and he would shake the water in the kid's face. Hey, mommy, Oh, hang on. And he would go over and he would get a roll of toilet paper. Oh, you want mommy to come wipe your butt? Oh, this is what he would do to us. He took nothing. He was from South Carolina. He was a history teacher. And he told us at the beginning, he wrote down at the beginning of the uh, semester, he wrote down numbers on the uh, top right side of his chalkboard. And he said, this is how many A's I have to give out, how many B's, how many C's, how many D's and how many F's. And he's like, anybody want to take the F right now? You don't have to come back to my class. And there was one kid, Alan Letterman or Lighterman, I forget. And that kid cut class so many times. And when he was in class, he was a troublemaker. And Peacock was like, "Ah, I'll tell you what. No, I'll give you the F right now. You take it right now. Letterman did not do it. And then I think he got arrested at some point. So he was out of school. But anyway, like that's the reality. Because if he gave too many A's, people would say he wasn't. Uh, making the tests hard enough. If he failed too many, then they're like too hard. So he's like, I want to get in the sweet spot, somewhere in the middle there. He sounded like the penguin. I'm not kidding. All right, Winterball's up next. Stick around. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.